Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and move forward here uh, into our teaching for the day. And um, we are, if you're new to what we're doing, what we're going through, uh, we've been in this series called Redemption which is um, a series really that we're exploring various um, passages and stories all throughout the Bible that weave together on this road of redemption that ultimately is going to lead to Easter. Um, And so um, as we are leading up to the remembrance of the cross, um, we're refocusing the story of redemption throughout the narrative of Scripture. And so this phrase that we've been saying is that God's story, which is told through the Bible, is a story of redemption. Um, all throughout it. That is the main theme of the Bible is, uh, is redemption. And it's unfolding in lives. It's unfolding in families. It's unfolding in nations throughout the millennia. And so we've been going through various uh, passages that highlight this. And so last week, uh, if you missed it, we talked about the Exodus uh, story and we called it out of Egypt. And the idea of that was um, the narrative of the Exodus really reverberates throughout the rest of Scripture uh, and the story of redemption, because God is constantly reminding his people who they are, who he is to them and who they are to him when he says, I am the God who rescued you out of the house of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He always tells them that over and over again. And then ultimately, that leads to Jesus being called the Passover lamb, right? So they're told to remember that and it foreshadows God's redemption through Jesus as the Passover lamb that is sacrificed and provides freedom from the slavery of sin. And so last week's big idea was that the Israelites were called out of Egypt, but through Jesus, we have been called out of sin and death and into his family. And so this week, we're going to continue. We have this week and next week left uh, in our series, and then we'll have Easter. Sunday, but this week we're going to uh, continue our series, and this week's message is called Unfamily Becomes Family. The unfamily becomes family, and if you want to turn to the book of Ruth, that's where we're going to be really uh, focusing our efforts today. We'll get there in just a minute. It's quite a bit of scripture today. Um, I hope that's okay. I like to preach right directly out of scripture. I think it's the best place to go, Uh, but before we do, so I use this phrase unfamily. Family. What does it mean when I say unfamily? Well, there was a book that was written by someone named Sandra Richter, and she wrote a book called Epic of Eden. And in it, she uses this phrase called unfamily. Um, the book itself is really about how the entire theme of the Bible from start to finish is about redemption told through the context of lives and families and nations, right? So that's really a lot of where this sermon series comes from. And she uses the word unfamily to describe the dire straits that Ruth and Naomi find themselves in uh, and the effect that this status has on them. So we're going to be reading in the book of Ruth, and it's going to kind of describe it, and we'll pause throughout. It's going to tell us a little bit about their situation, and I'll give you some context. But we're going to see again how this story fits into the overall theme of redemption ultimately leading to Jesus. So if you guys want to turn to Ruth chapter 1, that's in the Old Testament. Um, Again, this is called Unfamily Becomes Family. So Ruth chapter 1, we're going to begin reading. I'm reading out of uh, the CSB version, which is called the Christian Standard Bible. Um, So if you uh, have a Bible app, 
um, you usually have the ability to change translation. So if you want to read directly with what I'm reading, uh, go to CSB. Ruth chapter one says this, during the time of the judges, and just we'll pause here, um, there's a book in the Bible called Judges. Samson was a judge, Deborah was a judge. This was a time before there were kings, okay? So um, before the kings of, of Israel, there were kind of these leaders who were basically like tribal war chiefs who would kind of keep people in line, usually through force. Um, so during the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons. Judah is in Israel. That's where Bethlehem is. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while because of the famine. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. I'm probably butchering those names. Uh, they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. So what you need to know is that Elimelech and his wife Naomi and their two sons leave because of the famine and go to Moab. They entered the fields of Moab and they settled there. Verse 3, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Crap, now I'm stuck in a country with no husband. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women, so the two sons married women in that country, as their wives. One of the women was named Orpha, and the other was named Ruth. So now we have Ruth and Naomi. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both the sons died. Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. So, all right, so we start the story where Naomi and Elimelech live in Israel, but there's a famine, so they move to Moab to find food, and they get there, and then disaster strikes. Her husband dies, her two sons die, and all she's left with now is her two daughter-in-laws. So Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. And it's just her, an old woman, and her two uh, daughter-in-laws. Now, in ancient Near East culture, women without fathers, without husbands, and without sons were without family, okay? They were without family, and they were without the safety and the security that came with it, right? So they were essentially cut off from any societal benefits and protection. And that is the word unfamily that Richter, that Sandra Richter uses in her book, the concept of unfamily. Because they didn't have any husbands, any sons, um, or any fathers that were with them, they were disconnected from everything. They were completely outsiders, okay? They were unfamily. Now let's continue in verse six. So she and her daughter-in-law, so Naomi and her daughter-in-laws, set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. So she heard that back in Israel that people were getting food and they attributed that to God. So they left the place where she had been living in Moab, which is modern day Jordan. Okay. So if you want to know where they're going, Israel uh, to the east of Israel is Jordan, the country of Jordan. That's where Moab was okay so modern day jordan going to the east of israel is where they're at and they were accompanied by her two daughters-in-law and traveled along the road leading back to judah which is where bethlehem is in israel that's about 30 to 60 miles away probably on foot right so where they were at in moab in jordan they traveled back to israel about 30 to 60 miles depending on where they were and that was probably on foot. They didn't have any money. Who was going to give them a horse or a camel or anything like that? So they probably just had to travel on their own 
That's a long way to go. It took them probably a few days on foot. Verse 8. So on their way, Naomi said to them, Each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to me, have you shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. It's important because the only way they could be connected, right, is to kind of get married again. So she kissed them and they wept loudly. And they said to her, no, we insist on returning with you to your people. Verse 11, but Naomi replied, go home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could have become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband and then bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. She's like, obviously frustrated, like bitter. I mean, and I think a lot of us feel this way sometimes. We go through things that are painful and we don't, we don't know how to, how to take it. We don't understand what's going on. And so we sometimes attribute that pain to, to God. Again, they wept loudly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said, okay, I get it. I'm going to leave. But it says, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow her. Naomi's doing everything she can to just say, look, you know, I am bad goods. I'm damaged goods. I've got nothing left. There's nothing here for you or for me. You're still young. Go try to make a life for yourself. Orpah goes, okay, I don't want to, but I will. And so she goes back to Moab. But Ruth does not. Ruth does not. And it says this in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you. Or to return and not follow you. And there's this famous line that we, if anyone knows the book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, this is famous here. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. And your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Ruth is essentially saying, I am attaching myself to you, and it doesn't matter what happens, I'm coming with you. You are now my family. She says, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me, and may he do so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. So when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, that, that could be interpreted a couple ways. It could be that she was just, like, just you know, frustrated and angry, or it kind of just says she just let it go. And the two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And we're going to pause here just for a moment. So Ruth, still being of marrying age, could have easily remained in her homeland. And she could have found another husband and she could have gotten right back on track. Instead, she chooses to go with Naomi to her ancestral home in Bethlehem. And this is showing the love and the commitment that they had for each other. Even as unfamily, right? Even as an unfamily, disconnected, they had each other. You can see the love and the unwillingness to give up. Already, right, we're beginning to see the threads that we're going to be pulling on in this story of redemption, right? Beginning to see the redemption story beats taking shape, right? The unwillingness, right? The love and the unwillingness to let go, to be disconnected. So chapter two, we're not going to read too much out of it, but chapter two starts and Naomi and Ruth, they return to Bethlehem. And when they get there, Ruth goes into this barley field uh, to find food. And what she does is she follows behind workers and picks up 
the leftovers. Now, I want to have a, a nerd pastor moment here. I love, every week I always like kind of tell you about something cool that I see that's woven all throughout Scripture. Well, way back in the book of Leviticus, right, when God gives his law to the people of Israel, right? This is what he says back in, in Leviticus 19 and back in Leviticus 23, um, God tells his people, when you harvest your fields, don't harvest all of the food. Don't go to the edges and clean up everything. Instead, leave the scraps. Leave some for the poor, right? He says that. It's a command. Do not, like, let all of the stuff, like, don't pull it all inside. Leave some of it for the poor and the immigrant. God sets this moment up just for this moment right here and for other moments like it. I love how this is happening. So Ruth moves back. They've got nowhere to live. They've got no food. And she knows that the law says if I go into a field, that there are workers harvesting the field, that there will still be some left over for times just like this. Now, it's not told that, but we know that because the Bible is one book that's woven together. So I love that. Just a little, really just small little nugget of truth there that shows it's all connected. So Ruth goes into this field and she meets a man named Boaz and uh, who turns out to actually be a relative of Naomi's late husband, Elimelech. We don't really know directly, um, you know, what his, what his family line is, uh, but he is a family member. And so turns out that the field that she's gathering all the barley in is uh, a family member. And so he tells Ruth, that she will now be protected, looking, tells her to be protected while working in the field. And Ruth asks why she is being treated so kindly by Boaz. And we're going to pick up the story here in Ruth 12, in verse 11. Boaz answered her, Everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land how you came to a people that you didn't even previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done, and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. So Ruth then continues to work alongside Boaz's employees for the rest of the harvest time under Boaz's protection. But the story doesn't stop here. Naomi and Ruth are still unfamily. They're still not connected. They're still disconnected and incredibly uh, isolated from all the benefits of society and only are really under, uh, yeah, that was Ruth chapter two. Sorry, in chat there. Yes, that was Ruth chapter two that we were just reading uh, from there. Um, sorry about that. Um, so so uh, they're still disconnected from everything and only because of the kindness of Boaz are they, were they even allowed to kind of survive throughout the rest of the harvest time there. Um, but Naomi realizes that Boaz is what's called a family redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, right? And this is also introduced in the book of Leviticus. And what that means is that by law, by law, a male relative who is, um, who has responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, in danger, or in need, and they had to redeem them back to their family status. This was something that God put into effect in the law, back in there. And I just think this is so cool, right? That, that we see, I, I told you that like throughout this series, right, that God is, is weaving this concept of redemption all the way through, so much so that he builds it into his law and says that if a woman, um, if, if a husband dies, that there is a law piece built into where the brother-in-law of that, of that woman 
uh, has to remarry her so that she is not disconnected. Or someone, a family member, has to buy back that land so that the land stays in and redeems in. And the word that's used here, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to butcher this, is ga'al, ga'al, G-A apostrophe A-L. And it literally means to buy back or to redeem. And the definition is to restore something to its original or proper state of existence. Now, I want you to take that for a second and think about what God does for us in redemption. He's buying us back from the clutches of sin, and he is restoring us to his original or proper state of existence. When we come to know Jesus Christ, when we are purchased back by him, by his death and resurrection on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, we are purchased back and he restores us. We are a new creation restored back to our initial state of existence, the purpose of why we were created. We are not held back by our sin. We are not held back by the labels, our mistakes, any of the guilt, any of the shame. None of those things define us any longer. He has purchased and redeemed us back to our original state. And so what Naomi realizes in the story is that because Boaz is a family member and they're still unfamily, that he has an obligation or he might have the obligation to redeem them back and restore their status. So what does Ruth do? So what does Naomi do? So Naomi devises this plan to remind Boaz of this fact and tells Ruth to go to his house, and this is where it gets a little bit weird, sneak in during the middle of the night and lay down on the floor at his feet. Yes. So it's weird, right? It's this, it's this strange moment that seems so bizarre to us. It seems completely out of place. What the heck is going on? It doesn't make any sense, right? But I assure you there's no impropriety, impropriety going on. There's nothing improper going on. Um, it is dramatic for sure. And it is, it is definitely like theatrical, but it's designed that way, one for the narrative, but also two, to, to really um, exhibit the need, but also to, to make it as clear as daylight what is needed here. So she devises this plan. And in chapter three, verse four, it says that she comes in and uncovers his feet. Kind of weird, actually. Like, so he's in this laying down in the blank, under a blanket and she uncovers his feet and asks for his covering. Now, get a bit of context here. A servant would often sleep at the feet of his master. Okay, so in this time, the servant in the house would often sleep at the at the end of the bed. So the master would sleep on a mat or a bed. And then so you have one sense here. Right. And then perpendicularly, you would have the, the, the servant sleeping at the at the foot of the master. And in that time, there was a, a law or allowed to be a privilege where the servant could be covered by the master's blanket if the master so chose to. So what happens here is that Ruth goes in, she uncovers his feet in the middle of the night, right? And then, and then essentially is going to ask for covering and uh, ask for covering. Uncovering was a symbol of her need. Now, this sounds really strange to us, right? It seems very weird, but it was absolutely reasonable within their custom. Boaz wakes up, 
of course, startled because in the middle of the night, he's got someone touching his feet and like can't see in the dark. There's no electricity, right? So he's like, what the heck? Who is this down there at the bottom of my feet? And there's this shadowy figure there and he cries out, who is there? And Ruth responds and gets right to the point. And we're going to pick up our story in Ruth chapter three, verse nine. I am Ruth, she says. Your servant, she replied. And immediately she goes, Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Verse 10, then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before, because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. So now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Now, there's something really important to note here. Technically, Boaz was under no obligation to redeem Naomi or Ruth. The law specifically states that you are a brother-in-law was the one who had to do that. So now, you could because he is a family member, but Boaz didn't have to do this. He could have been like, hey, woman, get out of my house in the middle of the night. Like, he could have done that. He was well within his rights to do that. He did not have to. He was not obligated by the law because he was not Elimelech's brother. He was not the brother-in-law of Naomi, and he had absolutely no relation to Ruth, who was from Moab. In fact, the law actually stated that, that they were not to marry anyone outside of the Israelite you know, family lines. So he was actually, he had no obligation of any kind. And so Boaz was not Elimelech's brother. Ruth uh, was not related at all, and yet he did it anyway. And yet he did it anyway out of the kindness in his heart and because he saw Ruth's character and Ruth's value. And this is another mirror of God's redemption. God didn't have to act, but he chose to. God is not obligated to save his people. God is not obligated to to do anything for us, but he does it because he chooses to. And so we see this, this passage of scripture that's talking about the love and the unwillingness to give up on people. We see how that mirrors God's love that we've talked about in the past couple of weeks. And now we see that God chooses to redeem people, even though he has absolutely no obligation to do it. After all the times we have spit in his face, after all the times we have dishonored his name, after we have ignored him, he still chooses to redeem us. I love that. So the story goes on, and there's a lot of more details, but in chapter 4, verse 13, we're going to see the long game that's played here based on the story of Ruth. Ruth 4, verse 13. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Now, again, right, from a, from a modern-day perspective, we're like, oh, so her only value comes from being a wife and from a mother? Listen, what we're seeing here is her, her status now shifting from unfamily to family. That's what's important to note here, okay? She is no longer unfamily. She's no longer disconnected. It puts that specifically in there to show that she is now restored to the value of family, right? And she gives birth to a son, which will be very important here in a minute. The women, verse 14, said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. It's almost like God knew what he was doing. May his name become well known in Israel. Yeah, God's glory 
will be shown because of this incredible moment. He will renew your life. He will sustain you in old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed. Now pay attention here. He was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. All right. So both Ruth and Naomi are restored to family status. They are no longer unfamily. Ruth and Boaz have a son, and they name him Obed. Obed, his son, is named Jesse. Jesse's son is David, who becomes King David. Remember, this is before the time of the kings. Jesse gives birth to David, who becomes King David, who is known as the one after God's heart, and the one who God promises to have a king on the throne forever. And it is into this lineage that the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel and the entire world is born, Jesus. Jesus is called the Son of David because he was from the line of David. And if you read the book of Matthew, in the very beginning of Matthew, there's a lineage and it goes through and it shows you the genealogy and how it links in. And not only does it link in Ruth, it also, the redemption story of the Bible that leads to Jesus includes Rahab, who is a prostitute, and Ruth, who is a Moabite, a foreigner. God's plan ultimately to redeem the entire world that includes rapists and prostitutes and murderers and foreigners and immigrants and the poor, Jewish people and Gentiles and any other group all over the world. His plan was set in motion as you see through this and all of it ultimately leading to where, where he redeemed someone when he chose to, he didn't have to, marries a woman who is outside of that family line and ultimately it leads to Jesus Christ. The story of Ruth is so powerful about redemption. It shows God's heart that he loves people so much, he's unwilling to give up on people. He's unwilling, no matter how far away they go, no matter how nasty their lives have become, he is unwilling to give up and he loves them. And he chooses, he chooses to redeem us. That's the big idea of today's message, is that God didn't have to act, but he chose to. We were unfamily and have become his family. I love the story of Ruth because it highlights such, such power of, of God's character and his, how much he loves us and his willingness. We talked about his, the Passover celebration and how he, how he protects us. We talked about the prodigal son and the prodigal father, right? And how he was willing, he was waiting, like so many aspects of God's character shown time and time and time again, woven all throughout scripture. I love that. And next week, we're going to finish this series by talking about um, the Jesus on the cross in Palm Sunday. We're going to talk about how Jesus was on the cross between two thieves. And even in his suffering, we see the redemption taking place next week. I, I love this series and I love this story of God's love for us. So that's the story of Ruth uh, this week that God didn't have to act, but he chose to. We were unfamily, but we have become family. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you. I thank you for countless stories throughout your word that show that you uh, had a plan 
that you had a plan right from the beginning, that when we were separated from you, that you were not going to let us just languish and wither and die, that you were going to create a way for us to be restored to our original intent. That's what the word means, to purchase back, to buy back, to redeem, to restore to its original purpose and intent and, and status. I thank you for a story like Ruth. This, this interesting story that really highlights this just one moment in time, this cultural context, but it speaks millennia later. It shows us the, the overall arching story that you love, uh, that you're unwilling to give up, and that you choose to act. God, I pray that each one of us today, that we would take this to heart, that we would be reminded deeply of, of the, the act that you have done for us, the countless number of acts, minuscule acts over the years that have drawn you, drawn us to you. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. God, may we be a people who lives out this kind of, of goodness, this kind of um, love to other people. God, may this challenge us and our families and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, God, when we're frustrated with people. Uh, may we not give up. God, I pray if there are broken relationships, estranged relationships, that we would be people that would reflect that kind of commitment to each other. God, I pray that we would not be ones who would, who would choose um, to just sit back, but instead we would choose to act. God, make us people. Give us, peop uh, give us a, a, a hunger and a courage to be people of action. God, may we be people who would, who would go search and rescue for those who need help. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for the story of Ruth. I thank you for the story of the Exodus. I thank you for the story of Abraham rescuing Lot. I thank you for the story of, um, of the prodigal son. Got so many stories all throughout scripture that point the way ultimately to Jesus. And as we get closer and closer to, to the day where your son gave his life for us, that we would, that we would identify with, with him. We would identify with his death and his resurrection. We would be your children. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Encounter PGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.